Hello and welcome to another edition of Pioneer Pigskin. My name is Eric Jensen and joined as always by Austin Pacer. And Austin, this is this is just a test of our dedication. So, you know, some weeks you look at the schedule and you're like, man, that's just, just a tough schedule to look at. Week three of college football was that. But we did our best. We watched we're the real, game. We're the real heroes. Yeah, we're, we're the real heroes. We watched the games that happened within the state. And we're here with some brief takeaways on a Sunday morning. I realize these have been getting longer as we keep doing them. I am really trying to keep this one to 30 minutes or under. Listener, don't you worry about that. Uh, just quick box score recap and uh, some brief thoughts on how things went down. I feel like the only place to start is with BYU getting a 38-31 win in SEC country against the Arkansas Razorbacks. And we'll start with this, Austin, a form, yeah. I guess a former co-worker of ours, although that would be a strong... A, str- a, a strong term, considering I've I've worked and spoken with this individual maybe three times maximum. Mm, um, right. Patrick Kinahan came out and said this was BYU's best win under Kalani Sataki. A lot of people disagreed with that. A lot of people got mad online, as they like to do with with PK's take sometimes. But I want to start this podcast by saying I kind of see where he's coming from. And and here's why I think he has a case. Eric, you're setting yourself up for a disaster. When 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 all the people who follow PK, you know, the overlap between PK's audience and our audience is, is pretty good, I would think. When they hear you taking his side, you're going to be right, right there with him, you know, the brunt of all the scrutiny. But anyway... Proceed with caution if you want to. Yeah, listen, I kind of see where he's coming from. Sure, maybe it's not the best opponent ever, but this, I'll say you should have phrased it differently. Would you agree that Mm -hmm. this is a program-defining win? I would say yes, it is. BYU started the season very slow against Sam Houston, came out, took care of business against SUU, but still looked kind of shaky. There were massive questions coming into this game. Most everyone you would talk to thought Arkansas was going to bully them on both lines, and Mm -hmm. this wasn't really going to be a game. They came out, they got down early, it looked like they were going to have a long day, and then the defense under Jay Hill stepped up Aaron Roderick pulls out a crazy trick play to tie the game and suddenly Mm -hmm. BYU's kind of back in this and then they lose momentum again in the second and third quarters and you know they're down by 17 again going in to the start of a fourth and then they come back and they score their touchdowns in the fourth quarter to come back win the game 38-31 I see. I just see where that take is coming from. It's an incredibly impressive win in an incredibly hostile environment on a week that a lot of people just counted BYU out from the start. And for them to show up and play really their best football of the season 
right before they head into a Big 12 conference that, let's be honest, yesterday was not a good day for them, you can kind of suddenly start to see, okay, like maybe a bowl game isn't crazy to think about. It certainly isn't now starting 3-0. and And maybe seven or eight wins this year is is not that crazy to think about. That's that's just where I'm coming from. That's kind of how I feel. BYU just put up a really impressive game yesterday. That was that's where that's where I come down on it. I I and I do think Kalani Sataki deserves a lot of credit for it. Yeah, I think that's a good synopsis. Synopsis, excuse me. Everybody knows I can't pronounce things, so I don't know why I even, you know, try to – I don't even know why I try. I should just lean into not pronouncing things better. That would be a good persona. But, um, no, that's a good synopsis of, of the game and its implications. Um, I think it, it, it strikes me as a little amusing, you know, PK being the, the calmness, the writer that he is. I think you found a better way to phrase um, – you know, what exactly that game means for, for BYU and Kalani. Um, I, I think, I think the way you say it is, is definitely more on the nose um, as in terms of like what it means for the program. And it really does set a tone. And we talked about it with Brian last week where we said it wasn't really important for BYU to win so much as not be embarrassed, especially considering Arkansas um, embarrassed them last year. Um but it suddenly became pretty important that that BYU won that game for sure because I think they they're definitely going to head into Big Twelve play with a lot more confidence. Um, there's going to be, um, I guess, a little bit more respect given to them um, than I think they would have otherwise had they been blown out by Arkansas. I think you could assume that the Big Twelve wouldn't think you know much of BYU, you know, as they uh, introduce themselves to each other, but. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it's, it's definitely in that, that top three echelon for Kalani in terms of big wins. I think Wisconsin's always going to be in that conversation from 2018. I think Utah in 2021 is probably his, his biggest win. Um, that's going to be really hard to beat, especially how people felt about that locally um, and what that meant for BYU's program to beat Utah. Um, so I, I, I disagree with the exact phrasing of, of PK's statement. Um, but I, I think you, you found a better way to put it. Um, but I, I, but let, 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 let's dig into like the stats a little bit, because like the, when you look at the, the stats, it really kind of looks like Arkansas gave this game away. And, and I'm wondering if you agree with me there. Yeah, certainly some puzzling coaching decisions by, um, Sam Pittman on mm-hmm. on fourth down, especially not really putting KJ Jefferson in fourth and one several times in shotgun for some reason and handing the ball off to his running back instead of using his huge six five quarterback to run a quarterback sneak that almost certainly would have worked. Um mm-hmm. kind of strange. KJ Jefferson had a great day. Uh once again looked the BYU defense didn't really have any answers for him and when they, they they got to him at the end of the game and that's really what kept BYU in this was the fact that finally for the first time in what feels like years 
the pressure you you saw it turn into numbers and mm-hmm. uh four sacks on the day that's very impressive for BYU especially against an SEC opponent well, well Pittman's, I, 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 Pittman's uh conversation with the media after the game was pretty interesting he was like yeah they they dominated us up front they were much bigger they were much more um skill they were longer i think is what he said um after the game and i thought that was i mean it was so interesting that that byu played an sec team that didn't really act like an sec team you know i mean they, they committed so many turnover or so many penalties at home they were dominated in the trenches i think that might have been a big part of why those coaching decisions were made i think Pittman grew to fear byu's defensive front as the game moved on, um, yeah, I, 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 I thought it was. I thought BYU uh, did played an excellent game, and I think they they definitely caught Arkansas off guard. Absolutely, you look at the box score; it's not crazy from Caden Slovis, thirteen of twenty five for one hundred sixty seven yards, but it, it can't be understated that when he needed to make big time throws, he made them in the fourth quarter, which is when he played his best football. Um, I'm still a little nervous with him, to be completely honest with you. We'll see how things look throughout conference play. He's just a very up-and-down quarterback, I feel like. I feel like it, 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 it's it's never consistent with him, you know? That that feels well. He's like... not going to challenge anybody for any end of season awards, you know, in the Big Twelve. You know, he's like that. That stint of his career is over. He's. I think we've used the term "game so many times. He's going to keep BYU in the game. He's not going to win the game. He's going to keep. He's going to keep him in the game. Um. And I. But I think you make a good point. I think when he makes the big plays, uh, when they're needed, and I think that's where the experience of being a eight-year senior comes in or what, however long he's been playing college football. The other piece, Aiden Robbins feels like his job is gone at this point. Yep. So yeah, Didn't, we were, I don't know why, I don't know why we even talked about him to start the year. He's, uh, he's uh, was injured. Didn't really play in this game. LJ Martin came in. Didn't have the greatest stat line in the world, but broke off a big run for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Yep, looked good again. Like very, I, I don't think there's any reason to go away from him at this point. I feel like he is. No, he, Bing Robin he, sucks. I'm embarrassed he, that I'm embarrassed that we brought him up. He should be the running game. Uh very clearly offensively through three weeks, Isaac Rex has been BYU's best player. That was my other kind mm-hmm. of take. Uh, he is fully back from that injury. He never really got back to full speed last year. Uh, he's back now. He's playing like an elite tight end, mm-hmm. he is going to be a problem in the Big 12. And the game plan every week should revolve around getting Isaac Rex the ball as much as humanly possible. That, for me, what that, that's what all I've got on BYU in this game. Very impressive. Defense was absolutely crazy. I mean, Jacob Robinson, again, all over the place. A.J. Von Pachon, huge game. Ben Bywater, some huge stops. It feels like suddenly it is wild how even though there are new names on this BYU defense, like 
the old names are starting to kind of like step back up. Like Max Tooley has a sack and Tyler Batty has a sack and a half. Like there are dudes on this defense and it's, well, it's I, important, I, it's important I, I think to that's recognize really, that. Really, really great statement by you, Eric. And I, I think that just having had the experience that both of us have had around the sports scene here, I think you give that credit to Jay Hill, just better coaching. Yeah. Put these guys that can play in a position to succeed, and um, and I mean that's why I thought it was a brilliant hire to bring to bring Jay aboard. And if it keeps going this way, if the defense plays the way that it has the first three weeks for rest of the season, Kalani needs to be looking at contingency plans because Jay Hill will not be at BYU. He won't be next there long. Year. He will not be no. at BYU next year because this defense is just that good. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and he has turned it around that quickly. Like he is going to have a G five or a P five offer at some point within the next year and a half. So, uh, oh, BYU, yeah. especially when you juxtapose that with how bad their defense was, you know, last it year is wild. It's basically it's, the it's same stark it's contrast. Like they did bring in transfers. I'm not saying they didn't, but it's basically the same defense. And they're suddenly like, I haven't looked at the rankings, but it wouldn't shock me if we, when the composite stuff comes out they go from like a bottom 90 defense in the country to like a top 90 defense within like a year because of jay hill like i feel like i know covering covering state games you would always just hear you know i'm forgetting the athletic director's name now but he would always talk about how he thought jay hill was the best coach in the country they were so they felt so lucky to have him they admitted they knew they weren't going to keep him forever, and he's just proving himself. And I, I like, I everybody loves Jay Hill. I think every program in the state. I don't think he has too much experience with Utah State, obviously, but the guys at Utah love him. BYU obviously is learning to love him. He's he's phenomenal. He's the real deal. Moving on to Utah. Utah takes care of Weber State, thirty-one-seven. Maybe not the most dominant performance that Utah fans would have expected. You were at this game. Very cool experience yep. for you, yeah, honoring, honoring you and your dad. So I'm going to lean on you for this one, man. I, I tuned in for a little bit here and there. My biggest takeaway was the same takeaway I've had over the first three weeks, which is that if Cam Rising and Brant Keithy get healthy, Look out, this is probably a team that's playing for a Pac-12 championship again because the defense is elite. But if they're not ready and if it it takes a while for them to get back acclimated and for some reason they don't play against UCLA, this team is probably going to lose between two and three games in the Pac-12 because the offense is, without cameraizing, decent. Like they had a good day. They had a really good day running the ball. Had a lot of, a lot of rushers for two hundred thirty-one yards on the ground, but nobody had a spectacular day. That that yeah. that's kind of my takeaway with Utah these days: is Cam Rising and Brant Keithy get back, everything's going to be okay. If if we see Nate Johnson for a significant stretch. Not that Nate Johnson is bad. He he had a perfectly fine day, you know, 13 for 21, 193 yards, about 9.2 yards in attempt, didn't turn the ball over. But it's just different when you have Cam Rising because he's got 
that experience under his belt with Nate Johnson. They, they are not, they're not contending in the best college football conference in the nation. Yeah, that's totally true. And, you know, I, I really hope we're getting, we get from Cam Rising what we've all been hoping for, especially with seeing uh, Bryson Barnes and, and Nate Johnson play this season. I, I hope Cam lives up to whatever people are expecting from him, which is a lot. Uh, I think people are really counting on him. And, and whenever Brent Keithy gets back to, to carry the offense, they've been doing decently well considering they're missing their two real killers on offense and how banged up. Uh, it, here, here's my big takeaway for you, Eric. They need to find a way to cryogenically freeze every member of the, the rushing committee between games because if they continue to get decimated the way they've been decimated by the injury bug, they're in gigantic trouble. And I think um, Jaquindon Jackson's getting a little banged up. I think that – sorry, my computer just said it was almost going to die, so I'm plugging it in. Um, uh, Jalen Glover – uh, needs to stay healthy. I mean, if they lose one of those two guys and they have to really dig even deeper into the depth chart, they're going to be in, in big trouble. But I I, I think we, we talked about, like with Brian earlier this year, just how much we can expect from the defense. The, D, the Utah's defense is really good. They've allowed, what, 13 points, 11 points, now seven points in games. Um, they're making big plays. Obviously, everybody's excited about the picks, the 20 consecutive years with the pick six. Um, a stat that, like, I don't under, it, 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 that's the most, like, Utah fan, like, stat ever. Like, it, like, it's, like, it's just something to be excited about because it sounds interesting, you know. But uh, I, don't, I don't think it's nearly as cool as it was made out to be on, on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, get a pick six every year. That doesn't seem that, I, I guess I didn't realize how, not common that was, but anyway, um, I I think when you I, I think we're really gonna see a, a huge elevation in the quality of opponent, especially next week against UCLA, who's also three and zero. They've played a couple pushovers, um, sort of maybe a somewhat comparable schedule to Utah, um, but they've been they've been a little bit more ex- explosive in their three games. Um, their defense has has had some a lot more a few more sacks and, and turnovers forced so this is it's this is where it gets real for utah yeah it feels like our analysis is going to get much more in depth over the next few weeks it feels like we'll actually learn something because really they have and even though this defense has been great i will point out they've played graham mertz and Florida, who were clearly just – I know Florida just beat Tennessee. I get that. But Florida was just very clearly not ready for that game in week one. They're, they mm-hmm. they just weren't ready. They played Baylor without their starting quarterback. And Baylor, again, struggled. You know, this Baylor, not very good. And the Weaver State Wildcats, who are a, a solid team, but an FCS school. Next week they they play Dante Moore, who is gets quite a bit of hype. I I am not as familiar with his game, to be completely honest with you. But the 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 schedule the next three weeks is just uh kind of brutal. Uh, UCLA, then at Oregon State in Oregon. Oregon State looks so good. I think. Mm-hmm. 
I, I'm going to say something here, Austin. Hit me. I think sure. there's a sneaky chance that Oregon State's the best team in the Pac-12. Like, That'd be very sneaky. I think it's Washington. Um, but I, I, think I thought Oregon State could, was sort of my sleeper pick, too. You could make a case for Washington, but Oregon State, I think they've got the best defensive line. I think they've got the best offensive line. And everything else around that just kind of falls into place. DJ Uyunglele hasn't looked terrible. He's actually been quite good. But yeah, the the next the next five Don't weeks. Don't ask me to pronounce that name either. Our listeners will just rip me apart. Yeah, the next five weeks are brutal. UCLA, Oregon State on the road, Cal, USC on the road, Oregon. Yeah. If Cam Rising's not back at a hundred percent, or if Nate Johnson starts any of those games, they're they're going like okay, let's let's just say camera most realistic scenario here, Austin. Cam mm-hmm. Rising comes back for UCLA, but looks rusty because mm-hmm. he hasn't played full strength football in eight months. Right. Let's say he stays healthy and let's get to the Oregon game. What's Utah's record in those games? Let's say, I don't know. I would feel good at five and one. I, I five and one would be cause for to have a set, like a, a, a celebration in the streets. I think that's very optimistic. Yeah. I think Oregon State, I'm just circling that as a loss already. I think it's Friday night. It's a Friday night. It's a short week. It's in Pullman. Like, I'm not. It's actually Corvallis. Corvallis. Yes. Corvallis, yes. I'm not messing around with that game. Oregon State Bear. USC in the Coliseum. I, the defense could be very good, but Caleb Williams is still Caleb Williams. I, I do think it looks more like three and two. I think they can beat UCLA. I think they can beat Cal for sure. And I do think by the time they get to Oregon, Cam Rising's back to Cam Rising. And they're, and they're good what? to go for the stretch run. But I do think there are two losses in this next five-game stretch. I do. Let's not forget how many times Utah proved us wrong last year. You know, and it, do you remember that? Do you remember thinking we were smart last year, and every week we'd have to come on, come on, and like apologize for our our poor takes and our our lack of faith. Do you remember that? Remember how we didn't have a beat on this team last year? Uh no, I'm right most of the time. So no, it didn't. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Check the tapes. Check the tapes. They're done. They're archived. They are archived. That is the one unfortunate thing about podcasting. It is archived. Mm-hmm. Uh, very briefly, Utah State. Not much to say here other than they got bullied from start to finish. Both lines got absolutely dominated. Um, the offensive line looks like a major issue for uh, Utah State. The defensive line got absolutely no push. Uh, Air Force ran for 344 yards, Austin. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a lot. They basically killed them with like seven yard runs up the gut. Like it was very, very tough. This game looks a lot closer than it actually was. Air Force dominated from start to finish. Cooper Lega played an absolutely terrible game, got benched early in the second quarter. It sounds like 
from everything coming out of Logan that McCahill said is the guy from here on out. They've really liked what they've seen from him in camp. And man, he he had a good day, you know, 18 for mm-hmm. 27, 202 yards, three touchdowns. We'll see what he looks like. He's got a very good arm, but he is he is small. I don't know if you've ever seen McKay Hillstead. No. But he is uber short, uber small. And he took some hits. And he he kind of likes to run the ball a little bit. And he got walloped a few times. I worry about his durability. Also, I mean, may Utah State just remains like I, I think they had something crazy like. 10 personal foul penalties in this game like they they remain just like one of the most undisciplined teams in the state and we we say that over and over again and and that's been the case kind of throughout the Blake Anderson era so maybe we should just expect them to be an undisciplined team at this point yeah um but you know receiving quarter played okay Micah Davis looks like a guy that could be a guy uh, Jalen Royals finally showed up. It, you you can see the bones, but there is a passing attack here. But I'm pretty worried about the offensive line. They're about to play James Madison, who is extremely mm-hmm. good at home. I feel like that's coming off being blown out to Air Force. That's potential recipe for disaster, to right. be honest with you. Uh, like think Weber State last year, but with a far mm-hmm. better opponent. Um, and then it's it's UConn who hasn't played terrible this year, and then they're they're into the bones of the conference schedule, starting with Jay Norvell, who almost knocked off Dion last night. Mm-hmm. Um, getting I getting know. the ball I, eligibilities I, I, seems like a yeah. very daunting task, and yeah, and I, the, and here's yeah. here's yeah. what I'm thinking about when it comes to to next week. Um, obviously you mentioned they're playing James Madison. It feels somewhat reminiscent to their loss to, um, FCS power Weaver state last year. If Blake Anderson loses in two consecutive years to FCS opponents, how hot does that seat get? I, Cause I would think pretty hot. I, I keep as... being told, I keep being told that he is in no danger of losing his job. I, I, I keep being, I, I keep being that told to that by people. Surprising by people who are smarter than me, but I am with you, Austin. I feel like if this year goes the way it it looks like it's trending to get going, which is poorly, um, unless McKay Hill said really pans out, like, he's in danger. He is in danger if he, if he doesn't make the bowl game. And when you when you think about like all the off field issues they've had too in that locker room, um, they have a new athletic director. I'm not saying there's like anything to this. I don't mean this in any derogatory ways or any. I hope nobody takes like. I hope I hope this isn't held against me anyway. I think the fact that there's been some issues in that locker room with, um, you know, the way the players have treated women, the fact that they have a new female athletic director, um. I, I think you add all that together with the possibility that they might lose in two consecutive years to a, a lower division team. I, I, I don't see how that anybody could say that that job is safe. I, I think Blake Anderson needs to be on high alert. Winning solves a lot of problems, but also, you know, 
So that seems pretty hard this year. The other thing that like it, it kind of gets lost in all of this, and this is a good way to wrap up this episode. We can kind of talk about college football as a, as a whole. Like, um, but Mount West is not a good conference this year. Yeah. Like, um, not at all. Like last year, they were kind of spicy. They had some spicy teams, but like Wyoming, you can get it's Texas. But Wyoming played them close, but like Boise State has started extremely slow. Like San Diego State has started extremely slow. Like the powers you think are the powers. Like to me, it's Air Force and Fresno State. Like they are the teams to beat right now. And yeah. and even with that, like you know. Fresno State, you know, Fresno State looks really good. Air Force looks really good. Everyone else is just kind of like mid, kind of sitting there in the middle. They have two three and O teams, two two and one teams, and then the rest of the conference is either five hundred, which is one team, and the rest have a losing record. Like, it's not, it's not positive. Like they're 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 if if Utah State doesn't come out of this and finish within the top three or four, like that's a it's a problem because but the conference is extremely weak and you feel like but you know you look at the conference and now right now the conference standings Utah State's at the very bottom so yeah it's tough all right Austin before we go big uh big takeaway from uh from week three nationally anything crazy happened a lot of teams didn't cover um, but other than that was pretty standard week yeah no that didn't cover is a good way of putting it you know obviously alabama's game was closer than it should have been georgia's game was closer than expected um i mean the conversation is still on Deion sanders you know he, he just found a way to, to keep the train moving i i'll be honest i hammered a colorado state money line bet at halftime um and i was feeling really good about myself almost the entire way i did sweat a little bit um but then you know obviously they had that fourth quarter comeback and colorado did and then won in double overtime uh which sucked because i i thought I, I oh my gosh Eric, i really wanted to win this bet so bad but you know the hype train keeps going and it, i i really wish that colorado had lost if nothing else, it would have been fascinating to see how that, you know, post-game media availability would have, would have turned out. I, I think that – would Dion have eaten his words? I don't know. That would have been funny. But I guess, the, you know, they live to see another week. Yeah, to be honest with you, I was on the other side of that betting, decided to put my biggest bet of the football season, which wasn't a lot. It was like $17. So let's not get crazy. I'm not – dead broke here today but on uh mm-hmm. on colorado minus 23 and a half going in i thought that was mm-hmm. the biggest lock in the entire world and uh it's good i mean dion dion you know he came in and i i think he ingratiated himself to pac-12 fans he played a game that was drunk that went till almost one in the morning oh yeah like great that, point yeah l- like he, he he fits right in like it's yeah uh you know and uh you know i tweeted it at, at the very end you know, for as much credit as people want to give Jay Norvell, in the end, these two coaches just had a mid-off. Like, um, like that that famous tweet. Like, 
those two guys really did just go in there and were like, you know, Dion was like, okay, I'm never going to make an adjustment to shallow crossers. Never going to make that adjustment. Just going to let them kill me with that all night long, even into overtime. And Jay Norvell was like, okay, I've got Colorado pretty much dead to rights. Now I'm going to pump the ball away over midfield. Like oh, they'll never, they'll never come down and score. And uh, it was just absolutely uh Kind of a hilarious game on both sides. Neither of these coaches are very good. That was my takeaway. Uh, Dion's going to have some work when he gets to the Pac-12. We'll see how that Oregon game goes. But they, you finally kind of saw it. They got worked up front. And mm-hmm. Oregon is built in the Georgia model, and Dan Landing is the coach. So you can kind of think that yeah. Colorado and might get they're probably going to have to play maybe three weeks to a month without Travis Hunter. So. Yeah, that was an inc- I don't think I've ever seen a dirtier hit on a football field. That was kind of crazy. But that's not to justify that, but that's kind of a risk they take. Like they they just have yes. a target. Like they just they have a target on their yeah. like they just have a target on their back. Like they've talked enough shit through three weeks that this is just the way, even if they calm it down from here on out, teams want to beat them. Like that that like that is you want oh, to yeah. You want to beat Colorado, and we'll see how they do in a Pac-12 gauntlet. That's going to be that's going to start about as hard as it can with Oregon and USC back-to-back weeks. So uh, we will see how that goes. My big national takeaway, to be honest with you, was that there's no way Georgia should be number one, it, the number one team in the country. You can't beat South Carolina, who who is a terrible team by more than ten points, like at home. Are you kidding me? Okay, then who would you replace them with? I get, I get that Boston College kind of had a cute little comeback at the year, but if you look purely at resume, Florida State, Florida State, and/or Texas have the best wins of the year, and I would put Florida State number one, personally. All right. You don't think blowing out LSU counts for anything? LSU, you know, they started no, slow for the season, but LSU absolutely demolished. Mississippi State and show that there's still a player in the SEC. Like I feel like that win's got to count for something. And I get Wyoming had a slow week, but like I, I guess you, it'll probably stay the same. But I don't think you can. I don't think Georgia can be the number one team in the nation if they keep playing this way. Like even if they keep like you've got to beat teams by more than ten points if you if you're big bad Georgia like you. Like I, I'm not convinced in them at all. To be completely honest with you, like they, they feel like, they feel like, that that I guess that's the other team. I don't think there's a single like elite team in the nation right now. I, I don't mm. think, I think everyone's just kind of. They're good teams for sure, but I don't think there's anyone that stands above and beyond. Uh, but I, I do agree with you. Washington's very, very good, and Michael Penix is very, very good, and. Uh, I'm excited to see. Let me just pull up their schedule really quick and then we can wrap up. They kind of no play but they kind of play some weeks weeks off to start the conference schedule with Cal and Arizona. That Arizona game mm. sneaky sneaky entertaining. Um but then they've got Oregon. But their their gauntlet will come their gauntlet will come in November when they play USC, Utah, and Oregon in back to back weeks and finish with Washington State. So 
I feel like uh, Washington, if anyone, they have the they they're kind of the. It wouldn't shock me if they become like the darlings of like, oh, we're gonna put them at five this week, and like, you know, we'll see. Yeah, Here, here's my thought: Does Utah move up the rankings? Ah, uh, no, I I don't think they can. I think they kind of, they're kind of stuck where they're at until they get a win against a ranked team, which they still don't have. Yeah, probably true. Not that Washington has a win against a super impressive ranked team, but like Utah doesn't have Utah's got the disadvantage of they don't have their starting quarterback. So people, you know, the national media just isn't taking them seriously yet because they don't know what which they is are totally yet. fair. I, I think if Nate Johnson somehow has a great game and plays next week and they go in and beat UCLA, I think there will be a big jump. But they have to do that first. And I'm not convinced they can. Yeah. All right, dude. Well, that's it. We'll see you next time. Oh, next week. Huge college football slate, by the way. So, you know, I hope you have a hope you have a good college football Saturday next week, Austin. Hey, I wish I wish the same as I do every week. Like, yeah, like there's there's great great games from start to finish. With that You'll hear this episode later in the afternoon. Thank you so much for uh, listening to us. We will see you next time. Peace out.